So I want to tell you a little bit about the uh, last couple of weeks. Uh, as most of you know, we were blessed to go to Pepperdine University to the lectureship there and be a part of teaching a class with uh, Ed and Barbara Bice. And I, I just want to report to you that uh, Ed and Barbara were uh, absolutely mesmerizing to the people that came. Class grew every day is uh, they talked about their testimony and more than anything talked about the ministry here in our church to people that are overcoming uh, addictions. And, uh, you know, sometimes we take people and ministries for granted. It was a great time to sit and think what an incredible couple this is. You may not know this, but Barbara's actually written a book that she's seeking to publish uh, appropriately called Just Right. And uh, we need to be praying that that get published because it could help lots of people. You, you just wouldn't believe the way she held an audience in the palm of, of her hand. Uh, Pepperdine obviously is an incredible place, a great lectureship, thousands of people there, largest lectureship in our fellowship, and uh, it, it was great. My highlight was one night we're sitting in worship in the gym, and it's packed, and there's a lady sitting beside me who turns to me and says, you just have the most beautiful voice. <laughs> Now, she was really, really old, <laughs> and obviously deaf, <laughs> but I took that and ran with it. So that was, that was, that was a, a great experience. And then we came, went to San Francisco, spent a couple times, just sight, a couple days sightseeing, and that was, that was beautiful, and took the red eye overnight and got here Thursday, and uh, was getting ready Thursday afternoon for my, my Bible study with my, my college guys, and, and then we got the phone call that uh, our brother John Pickin had been... Uh, lost in the Tallapoosa River. And uh, most of you probably heard that on the, on the news. Uh, he was fishing, and they let the gates down to the dam, and the water's incredible rapids at that place, and he was caught. Um, and uh, two days later, uh, they found his body. And it's, uh, it's been a really rough weekend. I'm amazed that his mother and his grandmother are here with us today. And I'm amazed at the faith of his mom, who the first day when we're just sitting there and the search is going on, she says, my son John is in a win-win situation. Whatever happens, he wins. And so um, I remember John. Uh, when my son Luke came home a couple years ago, we started this college Bible study at our house. The second week is when John first came. The third week, he said, can I talk to you? And he took me to a room and back in our house, and he said, I just got to tell you about my life. And he started telling me about his addiction to drugs and his time in prison and how God had brought him out. And I just cannot tell you what a changed life this young man was. I, I don't know anybody more excited about Jesus than John. Anybody who wanted to invite more people, anybody who cared more about the things that were really spiritual, because he had been at the lowest point, and he'd come out with Jesus. And like his mama said, he was in a win-win situation. And so here we are on Mother's Day. Let me tell you what I can't do. I can't preach on Mark chapter 7. <laughs> I really don't give a flip right now about the Pharisees getting mad at the disciples about not washing their hands. Even though that could make a Mother's Day sermon, all right? So today I just want to, I just want to talk to you. Just forget about your outline for a little bit. I want to go to Matthew chapter 5 today. If you have your Bible, just go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 5. I've been praying all weekend about what I ought to share. 
Matthew chapter 5, we see what is commonly called the Beatitudes. And, and they are really beautiful. And, and I want to preach about these for two reasons. The first reason is that they remind me of my mother and they, they may remind you of your mother. I mean, just, just let me just sort of go through with you what the first line of each beatitude is. And, and, and just tell me, maybe we can agree on this to begin. Does it remind you more of dads or mothers? All right. Poor in spirit, mournful, meek, hungry and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. Tell me, is that mom or dad? More than likely, that's your mom, all right? And then the last beatitude is the, the peacemaker becomes the persecuted peacemaker. It's an incredible text. When I first began to hear the beatitudes, it just sounded to me like something, just a sweet thing that Jesus said. Nice little sweet statements just sort of brought together in what we call the beatitudes. It, I've seen it in many plaques and many churches and many homes, but I can remember about 25 years ago reading a commentary by William Barclay in which Barclay said the Beatitudes are not just sweet disjointed statements. They are the pathway of spiritual growth. That the Beatitudes are literally a progression of how someone grows in the Lord. And I believe that. And so this morning, as we think about our mothers, I just want to share that. Uh, a few weeks ago, Lincoln and I... And boy, didn't he do a great job with the Lord's Supper this morning. I'm proud of him. Now, in the church I went to last week, and you'd have gotten in trouble about almost praying for the cup first, buddy. You would have been in big trouble, okay? But, but anyway, um, Lincoln and I were traveling the other day, and I was just like, what, what, what do I want to share with my boy? And I started praying about it. I thought I wanted him to know the Beatitudes. Because if this is the way God works in people's lives. If I could go to one scripture and tell you, this is the way it happens. This is the way it happens. So let's just look at those. It starts off with the beginning of faith. Those first three Beatitudes really define the way faith starts. It, it starts with being poor in spirit. The first Beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It, it starts in, in that place of just absolute brokenness. The, the words there, it means literally to be spiritually bankrupt. You know, as the, uh, the preacher would say years ago, you know, when a man is flat on his back, the only direction he can look is up. And spiritual growth normally begins when you are just completely flat on your back and the only direction you can go is toward God. You are completely broken. You have given up on yourself. You know that you're a sorry sinner and that life is out of control. And then that brings us to the second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn. It's a, it's a really deep word. And the people who mourn, God says, are the folks who will be, they will be comforted. It's that person who comes to that point where not only do they know they've really messed up, a lot of us know we've messed up, a lot of us know our lives are messed up, but you even come to the point where you're able to say, you know, not only do I know I'm messed up intellectually, and I know I'm disobedient to God, I feel it. I feel it. I mourn it. I weep over it. I weep over my own sins and the sins of the world. And, and then we get to the third beatitude, which are blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And again, see the progression. 
The word meek here is a really fascinating word. Now, we hear this word and we have a problem because it, it sounds to us like weakness, okay? I mean, you know, guys, can you imagine if you went out on a date with a, a, a girl and at the end of the date you're telling her goodnight and she said, you know, I've really enjoyed tonight. You are the meekest man I've ever met. We, we, we wouldn't take that as a compliment. But in this day, meekness is not weakness. It literally is power under control. The word was used in early centuries to, to describe what you would do if you took a wild stallion that was full of brute strength but out of control, and you tamed it and you trained it. That's what meekness was about. Meekness was about Jesus taking the apostle John, who's this, um, this man full of vigor and temper, the man who wants to call down fire on the village outside of Samaria, and God molding him and making him and training him into a man who is the apostle of love. That's what meekness is. So here we go. We've got this person who knows they're spiritually broke. They actually feel it and they mourn. They don't blame other people for it. They mourn over it. And now they have become meek. They are moldable in the hands of God. And so that's the beginning of a walk of faith. Now... Next, we see the desire that comes out of this brokenness. The next beatitude is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. This is the person that out of this brokenness, out of this emptiness, they say, I'm telling you what I've got to have. What I've got to have more than anything is I've got to have God. And the terms here are very, very intense. It's a person who is starving and how badly they hunger for food. It's a person who is dying of thirst and how badly they want some water. And God says what we need to do, if we're really going to grow spiritually, is we've got to come to that point where we are so broken, where life is so messed up, that we know God is all that matters and we hunger for Him with everything that we've got. It's an intensity. Guys, I'm afraid for so many of us that we grew up in this thing and we've never allowed ourselves to feel our brokenness. And because of that, we have never hungered for God the way we should. You know, we like God and we like church. It's a good idea and it's a nice part of my life, but it is not my life. But that person who comes to this point is a person, yes, I, I gotta have him. I mean, if I don't have, if I don't get a breath of God, I may not live past this moment. And then, after the beginning of faith and the, the desire that is birthed here in that middle beatitude, then we begin to see the progression of faith, the perfection of faith. This person who is so empty and so messed up and so broken, who now wants God more than anything else, huh, becomes merciful and pure in heart and the peacemaker. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, the, the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Hey guys, are you with me? You're not, you're not responding. Are you with me? Uh, did you see this? Uh, out of that brokenness and out of this hunger, now God has somebody He can work with. And God begins to change that person. They begin to be so merciful. So forgiving. Who have you known in your life that's more merciful and more forgiving than your mom? 
who's forgiven so much in you and your siblings and other people, merciful and, and pure in heart. And, and this is not just about, about you know, purity as in moral purity. It's about singleness. The word here for pure means singleness of heart. It's the person now understanding how messed up their life was without God, how badly they need God. He begins to be the single purpose of their life. And and then in this molding process, not only do they become pure, but they end up being peacemakers. What could be more Christ-like than a peacemaker? Who's the peacemaker in your home? In most of our homes, it's been our moms. It's the mom who keeps things calm. It's the mom who smooths things over when everything's not going so well. And that's who we start becoming in Christ. Just like Jesus, we bring people together who had never been together. We bring peace wherever we go. Things get better simply because we walk in the room. Now here's the weird thing that happens. The person who's gone through that brokenness, who's hungered for God, who's now been molded into the image of God, is now even treated like God. Because listen to what happens next. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is that not amazing? The beautiful, merciful, pure peacemaker is now persecuted. Now, we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark, and listen to me. We've seen Jesus say to his disciples that that people are going to hate you like they hate me. They're going to be offended by you like they're offended by me. And I, I step back and I think, how can this forgiving, pure peacemaker offend people? But listen, when your life is so messed up back here, you know, and out of control, and someone comes into your life that is dramatically different, either you decide that you want to follow along with them or you get offended by who they are. It's like, I heard Mitch Temple say the other day, it's like being in a movie theater where it's completely dark and in a split second somebody turns the lights on and it it, it takes you back. And sometimes we love darkness more than we love light because when the lights come on, not only does it sort of shock us, but it also reveals to us the character flaws in our life. You ever been around someone so on fire for God, who is so in love with God that they made you uncomfortable? Because you knew you weren't there. You weren't that person. The light had come on. And the light had blazed. And not only did it blaze in front of you, but it began to reveal to you, you know what? I've never really allowed myself to be broken and hunger for God. Man, I like a lot of things in my life. And I desire some things, but I've never desired God that way. And yet here's this person who just loves God so much. And the incredible thing is that person begins to be persecuted and they're like Jesus. Which is cool if you'll study this a little bit further. Then the persecuted person ends up getting broken and the progression starts all over again. Brokenness, desire, and then transformation into the image of God. That's the way it happens. That's what I wanted my boy to know. That's what I want you to know today. 
I, I said I wanted to speak on this number one reason was because it reminds us of our moms who so embody for so many of us the Beatitudes. But, but I also wanted to preach on this today because it reminds me of John. If you asked John what turned his life around, he'd tell you it was going to prison. He had done some pretty rough things. Drugs will do that to you, you know that. People do things on drugs they would never do any other way in their life. If you knew John Pickin, and forgive me, John, I called you Pickens forever, it is Pickin. You would look at him, he was a great looking guy. Just perfect, um, preppy, gentle, loving, just drawn to him. I would have never dreamed until he pulled me in that bedroom and said, Buddy, can I tell you about my life? I I could have never dreamed that that would have been the way he would have ever lived. I mean, he grew up here in Montgomery. His great memories was growing up in church. Loved the youth group at the Delray Church of Christ. People had some great impact on him in that church. Went off to college. Things got out of control. Ends up broken in prison. And, and I, I say he would tell you that that brokenness, and, and guys, we see other people go through this brokenness and they don't turn to God. And, and yet John turned to God. And, and what I love is out of that emptiness, there was, there was such a hunger for him in him for righteousness. In our life group on Thursday nights, I always get tickled by John because he was so excited about the Lord. Anybody who made any comment, I mean, he had to make a comment about it. I mean, just, he just, you know, if you said something, and, and here's what amazed me, is the guy knew the scriptures. Susan, I know you taught him a lot of those scriptures. I know he memorized a lot of them while he was in prison. But anything anybody would say, man, he would have a scripture. And, and, and he was so fired up about growing in the Lord. And, and we would sit there in discussions, you know, and he would be, he was so changed, he could minister to anybody who came. Let me tell you how much he desired to be righteous. When he started coming to this church and life got right and he got involved in this Bible study, he came to me one night, he said, buddy, I, I need to get some things right. He said, I, grow up, I grew up at the Delray Church of Christ and those people were very good to me. I'm going to go back and make it right. So one Wednesday night, he knows they still have an invitation on Wednesday night. He goes and sits in that audience all by himself and walks forward and confesses what he's done. I thought to myself, John, you don't, you don't, you don't have to do that, man. But that's what we wanted to do. And then talking about a changed life, you're talking about someone who'd become merciful and pure. God had done it. 
I mean, you were, like I'm telling you, the, the guys in our group, he was like a rock in the group. And everybody was so drawn to him because just the purity of his innocence. I mean, that's, I, that's the word I just can't get away from with John. There was something so innocent and so pure about his love for God and the way he quoted scripture, and the way he encouraged people, the way he shared his life. I'll never forget one night being in group and one kid had come who just was about to become a Christian who was on drugs. And John's sitting across the circle, and John says to him, and his guy's name was John, he says, John, I know you from my past. In fact, I had sold you drugs. And they connected. And out of that, John ministered to him and helped lead him to the Lord. And then I remember on the opposite end of the spectrum, one kid in the group, because all these guys, so many of these guys had so much past in their life, you know, they're talking about, you know, you know, being promiscuous and they're talking about drugs. And I mean, if you want to come to an open group, just show up at my house Thursday night at eight o'clock. All right. And, and, and I, there was this one kid who started crying in the middle of the group. And he said, I just got to tell you guys. I've never done any of these things. I've never done drugs. I'm a virgin. And people embarrass me about it. And John looked across that circle and he said to that young man, I would give anything to be who you are. Don't you ever be ashamed of doing the right thing. It's amazing. And great how John loved him by for two years. Every week he would come to Bible study and he would tell me who he invited and who he met at AUM campus and who he wanted to come. And nobody would come. He'd stand outside my front door with his phone. He said, this guy told me today he's coming. I'm going to call him. And then he wouldn't show up. And John, you could just tell, was heartbroken. But about six weeks ago, two young men showed up to the Bible study that John had invited And I've never seen anybody more happy in my life. And one of the guys keeps coming. His name is Bird. He'll be here at 1030 today. And he said to me Thursday night when the guys gathered to pray for John, he said, I met John. I work at Papa Papa John's Pizza. And I met John. And within 30 seconds of meeting him, he had already invited me to church into this group. And I'm telling you, God was using his testimony. Because he had allowed his brokenness to lead him to a hunger for God that had led him to be formed and molded by God. And, And here's what I'm trying to say to us this morning. This is the path, God, that almost all of us take. And, you know, your brokenness doesn't have to come because you went out and did drugs or because your brokenness may be that you finally get honest and say, I'm just a selfish person. And God breaks you of that. Or you just get into the Sermon on the Mount and you begin to read the standard by which God wants us to live. And you go, my goodness, you know, I've not been that wild hellion out there. But I'm telling you, man, my life on the inside is dirty. Nobody may see it, but it's dirty. And out of that brokenness, you begin to to search for God and you find God and He molds you. So you say, buddy, who are you talking to today? Let, let, me, let me tell you the people I'm talking to. I, I hope I'm talking to everybody here, but I want to get specific here. First of all, I want to talk to the John Pickens in this audience because they're here. 
And some of you parents, we live like our heads are in the sand. I tell you guys, it's a crazy world out there. And our children are growing up in something much different than than even my generation grew up in. The expectation to party, the expectation to do drugs, the expectation to drink out of your mind, it is so prevalent. And I see it because many of you who grew up here in this church, you bought into it. And and, and let me tell you, and I can tell you story after story, at some point you're not going to be able to do it. At some point it's going to get out of control and your life is going to crash. At some point, you know, God is going to break you. And you can either get mad at God and keep on doing it, or you can humble yourself and turn to God. That's going to be the choice that you're going to have. And I want to speak to you today. Some of you grew up just like John grew up. Some of your best memories might even be youth group. But somehow along the way, things got messed up. And I'm telling you, what, what, what's God going to have to do to wake you up? How much longer are you going to walk in rebellion to Him when here you grew up in a church that loves you and that's full of grace and with parents who brought you to church and who care about your soul, and yet, you know what? You're buying the lies of Satan. I want to speak to this church. My friends, we have a ministry to people of this age. We put a lot of resources into teen and college and young adults, and we need to make no apology because that's where it happens, friends. Normally, if someone does not come to the Lord by 25 years old, they never come to the Lord. And I'm telling you guys, in the community we live in, there are hundreds and thousands of these kind of young men and women who grew up in even good homes, some of them who grew up going to church. But their life has gotten so far away from it because of the expectation, the peer pressure, and probably even the thrill of some of those moments. And we have got to reach them. We have got to do everything. We need to be having some serious talk with some of our children. We need to be having serious talk with some of the kids who grew up in this church that you know. You need to have serious talk with the kids in your neighborhood, the kids your children have gone to school with. Many of us need to sit down with our children and have some serious talks. And as a church, guys, you know, you know why John could come here and change? Because he could come here and be honest. He could come to this church and admit all that he had done and knew that he was loved and accepted and could change. And it changed him. And I thank God that we developed that kind of atmosphere in this church. But listen to me, friends. If we don't get active reaching out to these people and this young generation, who cares what atmosphere we have if we don't get some people in it? We've got to do that. We've got the opportunity to do that. I want to talk to all of us. Guys, guys, this life is short. This man's life was taken in a split second. Doing we love to do more than anything else almost in life was fishing. And he just delayed. And listen to me, some of us are fooling ourselves that we think we got plenty of time. We may not. Some of you people that I'm talking to this morning, you do not know when your life may end, especially the lifestyle that you're living. All of us, 
need to come to grips with the shortness and seriousness of life. Some of us are even coming to church and we're just playing church. And our conversations even before and after church are just superficial. When we need to be talking to each other about our souls, we need to be talking about where we are with the Lord. We need to be reaching out to someone who doesn't know the Lord. We need to be encouraging someone who's in the Lord. Can I ask you, when's the last serious conversation you had about Jesus and God in the Bible with somebody? We just play games. I want to speak this morning to, to those in this audience that are broken. I mean, you come here today, and maybe you hear everybody celebrating about their moms, and you never had a great mom. And it's affected your life. There's no bigger influence by every study in anyone's life than the influence of their mother. Number one, in fact. And you didn't have that. Or maybe for some other reason. You're here, and though you're sitting in an audience with all these people dressed up, your life is out of control and broken. And can, can I say to you, this may be the greatest place you have ever been in your life. If out of that brokenness you will begin to hunger for God, that is the path to righteousness. And so today, if you're broken, why don't you let us know? No way. Why don't you get public and honest about it today so that someone can do something about it? And then let me just speak to one more group of people. Those of us that are parents. The moms and dads in this audience. I just challenge you not to give up on your children. Susan, when I walked out of the funeral home with you yesterday, you said something I will never forget. I always told my two boys that the only thing that really mattered was where they ended up. And you live that. I think of the scripture, train up a child in the way they will go, and when they are old, they will not depart. I know that's not a lock safe promise, but it is a principle. And I'm telling you, parents, you need to keep training, keep teaching. Keep bringing. Some of you drive me crazy. You, you, you don't even make your kids go to Sunday school. Youth groups meeting and your kids have an option of whether they go or not. I'm just telling you my personal opinion right now. You can take it or leave it. Guys, we, gotta, we got to be working with our children. We've got to be planting the seed every moment. Because they're growing up in a culture where to be a Christian is to be absolutely radical and left out. And you know, like John, here's what I believe. They may depart. They may have their moments of wildness and moments of rebellion. Probably will. But I'm telling you, if we plant the seeds, if they remember a church that loved them and a youth group that, that fired them up, if they remember parents who told them the Bible, if they remember parents who lived with the right priorities and not the priorities of the world, I'm telling you, the promise of Scripture is they will come back. Because listen to me. The only thing that really matters, not their career, not their education, not their sports achievements, not the money they make, not even the family they have, the only thing that will really matter is where they end up. And Susan, I quote you again. When you handled this, and you've handled this, I know this will be tough. 
like an absolute rock of faith. And you said it so well. I truly believe what I believe. And you find out in these kind of moments. If you need to come to Jesus today, why don't you come right now while we stand together and sing?